Purdue's first loss of the season on the basketball court, a big loss for the Boilermakers on the football field, and a conversation with Locked On Bears on what could be going through the mind of Kevin Warren and Chicago. You are Locked On Big Ten, your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Locked On Big Ten, where you can get everything you need to know about the conference every weekday here on... Hey, thanks for tuning in to Locked On Big Ten, where you get everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week. Coming up on today's show, later on, we're going to talk to Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears. Word that Kevin Warren could be moving to Chicago to help them try and build their new stadium. What could that mean for the future of the Big Ten? What are the prospects that he actually goes? We'll try and get some insight on the Bears side of it from Lauren. Also, we'll have Caroline Fenton in from Locked On LSU. We're going to talk about the Purdue football big loss to LSU over the weekend as we're still catching up on a big bowl season that recapped and wrapped up the Big Ten football season over the weekend. We'll get to all of that, but first we're going to get into Purdue basketball. First loss of the season for the Boilermakers on the hardwood comes to Rutgers on the road, or I'm sorry, at home this time as Rutgers for the second straight season is able to upset the top-ranked Boilermakers. So Purdue in this one has itself a matchup against Rutgers in which it ends up going down pretty early, actually. Rutgers had control of this game for most of the matchup. Scarlet Knights lead by 10 at half. Purdue has to come back later on in the second and give the Boilermakers credit. They are that kind of a good basketball team. They're a team that's going to be pretty much in it every single time. It's going to be really hard to blow Purdue out. Rutgers was in many ways not really playing a game that would you think be conducive to upsetting Purdue. Uh, if you look at the foul numbers, 24 personal fouls for Rutgers, seven different players with at least three fouls on the Scarlet Knights. Meanwhile, Purdue only committed 11 fouls as a team. That's a 13 foul difference. Purdue took 28 free throws to Rutgers 11-2. That's huge. Again, seven different Rutgers players with at least three fouls, but none of them ever fouled out. I guess that is pretty big for them to be able to do that because it was nagging at them pretty much the entire game. And for no one to foul out, good job on them. But those are the kinds of numbers that make you think that Purdue's going to win this game. Even if it doesn't come out with its best game of basketball, even if people aren't hitting their shots, the other kind of things that makes Purdue the best team in basketball or in college basketball right now are those kind of things. They get to the free throw line. They're able to fight through the worst games that they have by being fundamentally sound and just being so strong as an overall unit. Better than a Rutgers team and should be able to beat a Rutgers team at home when those kind of things happen. But the interesting thing about this game was that Rutgers was able to match Purdue inside which is interesting in a couple of different ways. For one, on paper, just on the stats and the box score, Rutgers kept up with Purdue in the numbers. Uh, Rutgers won points in the paint, 26-22 to 22 in this game. Uh, things were even in second chance points and offensive rebound, being pretty much dead even. It was not a terrible shooting night for Purdue. Not a good night. 40% from the field and 30% from three. 
But overall, not a terrible night that when you combine all those free throw stats together, you would think that Purdue won the game. But the reason why Rutgers was able to stay in this and keep control for most of it was the fact that they were able to neutralize what Zach Eady was doing. And it's an interesting stat now that we have. Zach Eady took 10 shots in this game, which is a good amount of shots. But with how active he's been early in the season, it's near the bottom of how involved he's been as far as scoring the basketball and being the guy that the offense runs through. Rutgers did a decent job in making a concerted effort to make sure that, not that he really wasn't scoring or playing efficiently, because he did do okay. Edie ends up finishing the job with 19 points and gets himself 11 rebounds. So he got his. But doing it on only 10 shots means that Rutgers made Purdue get other guys to beat them. And when it came down to it, the other guys could not do it. The Purdue guards in the backcourt, the freshmen, have been praised and deservedly so for how they've done early in the season. But a lot of the reason why they've been able to be successful is because Zach Eady is right there with them and helping them be good. He draws attention. He draws bodies into the post to make sure that when he's got the ball, it's at least somewhat hard for him. Rutgers was able to neutralize him and force the other guys to go out and beat them on their own. And they couldn't really do it. The only other time that happened, when Edie took less shots, was in the game against Nebraska. Edie takes seven shots in that game. That one went to overtime. So the formula seems to be that if you can keep Zach Edie at least less involved, not even have him play a bad game, because what he did on ten shots is really impressive, but if you can make it so that the other teammates are taking higher percentage of the shots... It seems to be that you can run with Purdue that way. Zach Eady may be the National Player of the Year right now. And I'm sitting here saying it without actually having to, of course, go out there and try and stop Zach Eady. But for the teams that have been able to figure out at least how to keep him in a smaller role than what he's used to this season in Nebraska and now in Rutgers, those teams are the ones that have gotten closest to and now beaten the Purdue Boilermakers. So I'm not saying it's a formula to beat Purdue. If the formula was as simple as slow down Zach Eady, we'd all be able to be coaches out there. But there's at least evidence now enough to suggest that, one, you can do that. You can slow down Zach Eady. And two, if you do, it's going to be enough to beat Purdue. Because with the way this team had been playing at points in the season, it seemed like even if Eady was going to be held to only 19 points, which is a weird only to say, that Purdue is going to be able to win around him. Now it seems like maybe it's a little bit more dependent on Edie's efficiency and abilities to be a big part of the offense and be the one the offense runs through. Still ran through him when they were playing this game, but he was not getting as many of the easy, easy looks that he's used to. And that cushion being something that is no longer there may be the key to running with the Purdue Boilermakers. We'll, of course, talk a whole lot more about Purdue as the season progresses, but right now we're going to get into things on the football field with the Boilermakers. Uh, Caroline Fenton joins the show here in just a second to talk about it. But before we get into that, a reminder about online is the place to go for all of your online sports gambling needs. 
whether it be the latest Big Ten basketball games or maybe the national championship game, no Big Ten teams, but still one you may want to put some money on on Monday. It's going to be a big weekend in sports. You can get yourself in on the action at Bet Online. It's where the game starts. You're tuned into Locked On Big Ten alongside Caroline Fenton, host of Locked On LSU. I'm Nate Dickinson. Here to talk about an absolute blowout in the Citrus Bowl. 63-7 to the final score. The Tigers beat the Boilermakers of Purdue. Caroline, we could go anywhere really to talk about how LSU won this game. What sticks out to you? I think, you know, for all the Purdue fans listening, understand that LSU was in a very, very similar position this time last year. LSU took the field in the Texas Bowl against Kansas State, had a wide receiver at quarterback, and it wasn't like the fun wide receiver at quarterback like we saw today in the Citrus Bowl with Malik Neighbors throwing a touchdown pass and a massive, you know, 50-yard bomb. But it was a, a the only option that LSU had at quarterback. LSU had 39 scholarship players. Their coach had been fired after the regular season. Brian Kelly was coming in, and we all had so many questions about what this team was going to look like. What was the Brian Kelly era going to look like? How in the world were they going to fill some of these holes? So Purdue fans, we were just there. We understand, you know, your starting quarterback is out. Your two biggest offensive playmakers in the passing game are out. Jeff Brom out. You got an interim head coach in. So we understand how it feels and know that you can turn it around in just one year. But I think the most interesting thing on the LSU side of things is how Mike Denbrock, LSU's offensive coordinator, and Brian Kelly decided to use the quarterbacks. Jaden Daniels, of course, named the starting quarterback earlier this year. Brian Kelly doubled down on that today, said Jaden Daniels is our starting quarterback. But we saw a bunch of snaps from backup Garrett Nussmeyer. And I think we, we all understand that we're going into this offseason with a little bit of a quarterback competition. It's Jaden Daniels' job to lose and Garrett Nussmeyer's job to earn. And I think we saw a lot of really great things from both Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer in the passing game. And um, that was my biggest takeaway was how the quarterbacks were used and how the passing game really evolved. You know, looking at um, LSU stats, 369 yards in, in the passing game. We haven't seen that a lot from LSU so far this year. The passing game was one area in particular that Jaden Daniels really struggled with. It was all run, 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 and then pass if you need to get out of those third and long situations. 594 yards total. So the run game absolutely was not dormant in this game. But I think that LSU just went out there, decided, hey, let's just have fun with it. Let's just do what we can. Um, let's see what we can get from some of these young guys, especially on the defensive side of the football with three defensive line starters out for LSU heading to the NFL draft. And it looked like they really did. They ran with it, had fun with it. How much uh, better could this have looked, I guess, if Purdue had its offensive players out there, you think? Because, I mean, you kind of aren't surprised by them giving up a whole lot of points. 63 mm -hmm. is surprising, but you kind of maybe expect them with the team they had to maybe have given up that kind of point total. But if they had been full strength on offense, I feel like a lot of Boilermakers fans thought they would have been at least able to score a few more points. But I don't know after what happened here today, you can really be too confident in any of that. Yeah, I didn't expect it to be this lopsided. I didn't expect LSU to be able to go up 63, but I think I was I was discrediting LSU's ability, LSU defense's ability to make plays. 
you know, being able to score off of turnovers and looking at this inexperienced Purdue offense that was out there on the field. I think that's where you, you got a lot of that, where it may have looked like LSU's offense did more when the defense really was able to capitalize on some defensive opportunities. But I said this on Lockdown LSU on uh, Monday morning. I said, I-, I think this could be a much more interesting game if Purdue had all of their offensive starters out. I mean, Purdue's passing game this past year was just so, so fun to watch. And you don't lose Aiden O'Connell and get better. You don't lose Aiden O'Connell and you have, you know, a seamless transition into this new offense. So, yes, I definitely think that this would have been more interesting of a game if both sides were at full speed. I would have loved to have seen this Purdue passing game against some of this LSU pass rush without B.J. Ojolari, one of the nation's best pass rushers. That would have been a really fun matchup. I totally think this would have been a much more interesting game if both sides were at full speed and were at full strength. But I think all LSU fans are looking at it like, hey, man, like I said, we've been there. Now, speaking of which, LSU's been there. LSU, obviously, the established program here. Purdue has the aspirations of maybe one day getting to that point if they want to be any good at a football program consistently. What What do you make of just where this Purdue program was at right now or is at right now as you – able to take at least a couple of weeks to really take a good look at it yeah I think Purdue is in a spot right now where it's a transitional period you know you just look at going from last year the Music City Bowl and then this year you get to compete in the Big Ten Championship game and get to go to a much bigger bowl in the Citrus Bowl I think that shows you know improvement year over year but now you're sitting at a point where you got a new head coach coming in you have the opportunity to find your new starting quarterback of the future so the question is, how long is that going to take you in that transition? That was my biggest question about LSU, you know, January 2022 is, I know you got some new quarterbacks coming in. I know we got a new coach coming in. But how long is it going to take for this new coach and this new quarterback and this entire new coaching staff to instill their culture and for them to be able to get LSU football back to the LSU football that we knew? Not the, you know, the five and six LSU football, not the sub 500 LSU football, but the LSU football that's consistently on the, in the conversation to compete for the SEC championship, to be in, a, in conversation for the college football playoff. And for LSU, we were all thrilled and delighted that it really only took one season, understanding that that growth isn't necessarily lateral. But I think that I can't really answer that question because I couldn't even answer about LSU this time last year. It totally depends on this new coaching staff and all of the new weapons that Purdue was able to bring in and how quickly that team is able to mesh. And I think that all comes down to the new coaching staff. Definitely a lot of questions to be answered, but Purdue fans not feeling any better about them after what we saw in that first taste of the future for Purdue football here in this bowl game. Of course, a little bit of an unfair small sample size in this individual matchup. But LSU, big, big winner, 63-7. to If you want to hear more about it, Caroline Fenton's over at Locked On LSU. It's at Caroline Fenton 1. Someone who knows less about LSU sports got the real one uh, on Twitter. But we appreciate you coming on as always, Caroline. We'll talk to you at some point here. Hopefully soon you'll face some Big Ten team and we'll get you back on. All right, appreciate you. I've been badgering this one woman in London who has the at Caroline Fenton. So if you know her, let her know that I'm trying to get her Twitter handle. But appreciate you. At Nate Dickinson is private. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of trying to follow to see if I can get it. No. I don't want it. I don't want it that much. Yeah, it's not that it's not that big deal. <laughs> Thanks, Caroline. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Happy New Year. Listening in here to Locked On Big Ten, Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears is going to join us for just a minute here. Nate Dickinson with you as we at least 
try to get into the start of something that popped up last week involving Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten, is at least maybe looking at, or the Bears are looking at him, we should say, putting in the at least time at the Big Ten and saying, I'm done there, going to Chicago, and becoming their president of football operations. Uh, Lauren, what exactly is this? Because it did seem to just kind of pop out of nowhere last week. And what exactly is the situation that we have as far as the Bears' interest in Warren? Sure. So, yeah, the surprise was certainly Kevin as a candidate, right? The, the Bears have been searching for this position, I guess, longer than we realized. But they announced earlier this year that their president and CEO would be retiring at the end of 2022. I guess earlier this year, we're in 2023 now, but last year, earlier last year, still getting used to that changeover. But so we knew this position was opening up. And we knew that, of course, there would be a replacement process here, but it hasn't been a very public process. And so out of nowhere, we get last week that, oh, ESPN reports that Kevin Warren is apparently a very serious candidate and a very serious finalist for this position that really oversees essentially the entire non-football operations. You know, it's everything from ticket sales to promotions and sponsorships. And the big ticket item right now for the Bears is potentially a new stadium in Arlington Heights. And we know that Kevin Warren was involved in that process with the Minnesota Vikings early in when he was in that organization and building U.S. Bank Stadium, and that was a raving success. And so I think Bears fans see Kevin Warren as a really exciting candidate, and the Bears fans especially were not a big fan of the outgoing president and CEO. Uh, just there was, there was always feelings like maybe he was meddling in decisions, that it was unclear exactly if the GM reported to him or the chairman of the board, and maybe that they were both involved in that conversation. And it kind of felt like the business guy should stay with business and football guy should stay with football. But Warren seems like even if he did get involved in football side stuff, like he at least has a lot more background in that area than the guy, the Bears current guy who's a little bit more of the accountant business side. So you're more in tune with what goes on in the Chicago side of this. This is something that seems like it's at least in some way coming out of the Chicago side, I would assume. But if you look at it right now, why did this happen? What does it mean that this at least is becoming a story that's breaking now? Yeah, I would imagine it may have more likely come from Kevin's side or or because I wonder if it's not a, a negotiating ploy in in one way or another, whether it's Kevin kind of leaking it out to show the bears like hey like here's some big some big interest here you better make sure that you pay me enough or you know if he looks to the big 10 and i don't know what his con i don't know if we know what his contract situation is like with the big 10 conference but he's been there three years now that maybe that could be coming up and he can say hey see there's this really high profile job in chicago that he may genuinely be very interested in but just kind of throwing it out there like hey there's i've got some other real interest and they're going to offer me this position and it could be a really exciting thing for me so it, it was a little bit strange the timing of this and, and how it comes out there but you have to feel like i don't know that the bears had a ton of motivation other than to like i don't know, get the fan base excited but everybody put out their own statements about it afterwards sort of like you know trying to clean it up from a pr standpoint so Ke kevin's the only one who didn't have to put out a statement as a result you know big 10 came out and said yeah he he he's, he always gets you know he always gets opportunities that he's going to explore and the bears kind of said hey we're we are looking at different options but he's the one who's kind of just sat there quietly throughout the whole process and and uh biding his time and enjoying all the attention and, and potentially a very good opportunity for both sides not exactly the same as comparing, let's say, head coaching jobs, but where does this job for the Bears rank as far as front office jobs that you can have in this sport? Because Kevin Warren is the kind of guy that seems like I said before, he's going to go wherever helps him the best and helps build his resume. 
Yeah, this is, I mean, this is as high as you can go in the Bears organization without owning the team. I mean, the, the ownership is, a, it's a group and there's a, there's a board that runs the team. So other than being on like the ownership board or being the chairman of the board, this is it. Like you can't, he, there's no one for him to report to higher than ownership in this position. It really is the biggest spot in this organization. And it's, you know, a legacy franchise. It's it's one that is renowned in the league, not only for, you know, not, not even as much for the success on the field, but just, you know, the age of the organization and what it's meant to the history of the NFL. And there's at least that perception that like this, it means a little bit more when you come and do something like build a brand new stadium for Chicago than it does for, you know, a newer team like, you know, the Texans or the Jaguars. I mean, those are bad examples because they're bad teams, but newer franchises that just ha don't have the same sort of history and weight to what they do. And, I, and I'll note too, that the bears have only had four presidents and CEOs in their entire organization's hundred year history. Like, and it's been essentially ownerships, family members. And now this last one, Ted Phillips has been here for multiple decades. So it's the kind of job that Kevin Warren could come do and, and hold on to. I mean, as long as he wants until he would just want to retire from working in sports entirely. It's really uh, about as good of a position in the NFL as you can get in terms of job security and notoriety. Courtney, do you put yourself in by taking that job? You mentioned guy that's leaving and Phillips is not exactly the most liked guy over there. And while you get plenty of criticism being at the head of the Big Ten, too, it's at least right now seeming to be a little bit more of a cushier position to have because of, in part, what Kevin Warren's been able to do with it. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, Ted is not liked by the fan base, but mainly because he's an easy scapegoat in that regard, because it is a position that we don't. We don't fully understand what he does, so it's easy to kind of be like, well, what are you doing? But but really, the criticism for Ted comes from the fact that he's been here for, actually don't know the exact number of years, but been here for decades. See, 19, he's been in the organization for since 84, but took over as president and CEO in 1999. So he's been with the team for 40 years, but has been in this role for over 25 or, or almost 25 years, and they haven't been successful. And the the criticism comes from feeling like, Okay, it's been the same guy at the top of the organization, even though he's not making all the football decisions. It's like maybe it's, you know, it starts at the top and his leadership hiring the right guys underneath them. Do they know how to pick a general manager? Do they know how to pick a head coach? Do they know how to pick the right staff? And it's really a time-based thing of like, okay, how many times does this is this guy allowed to go through the process of cleaning house over and over again and still not being good? So I think for Kevin, it's not about like, you know, he got to show up and win a Super Bowl in the first five years because it's not a, it's not about like instant success or anything, but it's about, okay, organizationally over time, does it feel like he's bringing the team in the right direction? And I think the current guy, Ted Phillips, has been done really well on the business side. Like they've been really good in ticket sales and sponsorships and, and all those things. Like he he has done what he has been tasked to do very, very well. And the criticism is not for that aspect of the job. It's all been more like a reflection of the on-field success. And I don't know that it matters who's in that job really affecting the on-field success. So I think it would be pretty cushy for Kevin. And I think the breath of fresh air of just having a new face in there would buy him a lot of slack from Bears fans that would just be happy to have him in there as a new guy. And it buys him, I think, a good couple of decades before they start asking questions. Only gotten the reputation to have earned that as well. Uh, Lauren Cox here with Locked On Bears. Before we let you go, let's just get down to the bottom line. If they offer him this job, do you think that Kevin Warren takes it? I, I think it'd be pretty darn hard to pass up. I mean, I know he's been through the ringer a little bit, especially early on in the Big Ten. I know they're they're rolling in the right direction, but this a, a, a job with the Bears seems a bit less stressful. You know, I mean, you, you are a bit more out of the public face. You know, you maybe do a press conference 
once a year, you know, you work with a, a legacy organization, you work with a, a very stable family of ownership. There's a lot less of that public pressure, a lot less criticism, and it gets him back in the NFL. It, it does seem like, you know, that's been his MO a bit. And I, I know the Big Ten, being commissioned the Big Ten is, is a great job, but college football is really going through a lot of changes right now. And I imagine that it's not, I mean, he's doing a great job with, you know, adding teams to the Big Ten. If that's if that's their goal, he's, he's certainly had success in raising revenues for that organization. But I can see where you might want to step out of this process right now, see how the college football landscape changes over the next decade and then reassess that the NFL is a nice cushy, stable place to do that and lead an organization through a big change and have his name on the stadium build for the Chicago bears. Seems like the kind of thing that would be hard to pass up if the bears make him their finalist. Yeah, I agree. It's NFL's King. And when it comes to front office jobs in the NFL, Chicago is one of the places that you want to be at Uh Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears, whatever happens with that search, if it's Kevin Warren or anyone else, he'll be on top of it over at the podcast there every single weekday, just like we do it here on Locked On Big Ten. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes to talk to us here, Lauren. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Anytime. Hey, thanks again to Caroline Fenton and Lauren Cox for joining us here on the program today. Before we wrap things up, a couple of notes on recruiting as we had commitments being made around high school football and basketball. Uh, First on the football field, 2023 football commits to Nebraska coming in. In the same day, Cameron Lenhart, four-star edge out of IMG Academy in Florida, chooses the Cornhuskers. He picks Nebraska over a whole bunch of other schools. Maryland, Arkansas, Cal, in the Big Ten, Indiana, Michigan State, Penn State, Rutgers, South Carolina, Miami, Tennessee. All on that list. A big list of schools that Nebraska and Matt Rule beats out. And also, three-star corner Ethan Nation commits to Nebraska out of Roswell, Georgia. He had a huge, huge offer list. Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida State, Illinois, Indiana in the Big Ten, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, all of them going after this guy. Nebraska gets him another big win for Matt Rule there. So a couple of good recruiting notes for Nebraska. Now let's get into the wrap-up here on the program. We will have for you tomorrow, Jay Stevens is coming in, to preview Ohio State basketball against Purdue. First game off the loss for the Boilermakers. And also we have with Ohio State here a ranked team again trying to build on some of that momentum. That'll be here on our next episode of Locked On Big Ten. Until then, Nate Dickinson here with Locked On Big Ten. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube and on Twitter too. And also, be sure to, once you're done here, tune in to Locked On College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and where you get your podcasts. Again, be sure to tune in next time when we'll have more here on Locked On Big Ten. Until then, Nate Dickinson with Locked On.